Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres incorporate more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, bestseller Joshua Hood steps into the interrogation room to try getting his story straight. He's the best-selling author of the Search and Destroy series, and he's added two books to the Robert Ludlum universe in the last 12 months. Joshua graduated from the University of Memphis, joined the U.S. Army, and served in the 82nd Airborne Division for five years, where he served as a team leader. In 2005, he deployed to Iraq, conducted combat operations in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 05 and 06, and from 07 to 08, he served as a squad leader and was deployed to Afghanistan for Operation Enduring Freedom. Joshua was decorated for valor in Operation Furious Pursuit, and upon his return to civilian life, he joined the Memphis Police Department and became a SWAT officer there. In that role, he conducted countless stateside operations in support of local law enforcement as well as the FBI, ATF, DEA, Secret Service, and the U.S. Marshals. His latest release is entitled The Treadstone Exile, and it's his second contribution to the Ludlam universe. Josh, welcome to Writers on the Beat. I'm so incredibly grateful that you're back again to talk about your experiences in, in this latest Treadstone release, man. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I was been looking forward to it since last time we were on. <laughs> you know, flattery will get you invited back again. Keep it up. Well, uh, worse things can happen. Um, you know, it's fun. <clears throat> it takes kind of talking about the books and everything to a deeper level when you have, um, you know, you have common ground and you're genuinely interested in the book. And with that, for everybody who doesn't have an advanced copy of the Treadstone Exile, what do you want readers to know about this book? Well, um, this book continues Adam Hayes's story. And while the first one was a lot of um, world building as it, as it is, this one kind of drills down a little bit deeper and who he is, what he wants. And um, I believe the story is a little more richer. It's, it's a richer story. There was still action and everything, but it's kind of, I think it fits into Ludlum's world a little bit better because it has more intrigue. It's a wider, um, the story arc and the view of the story is a lot wider than the first one. So I'm very proud of it. Yeah, this is just an incredible, thrilling read. And you continue to find ways to make sure that no matter what time of night it is or how long I've been at this, you make me want to keep turning that page. And eventually I have to have an adult moment and go to bed. But I am just really impressed with how well you put this together to ensure that my time here is well spent. Well, I like to... You know, I like to write books that I like to read. And sometimes you get into a problem where, you know, Elmore Leonard says, you know, one of the keys to writing is skip the parts. Don't write the parts people skip. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's difficult because, you know, that part is integral to a story. Mm -hmm. But I like to dry, to write an action-based thriller. Like I believe in, you know, my motto is all thriller, no filler. And so... I try to keep the pace moving as much as possible. And, you know, obviously you have to give the reader pause to uh, catch his breath and like tell the story to re center the reader. But I try to keep those 
put those in natural places, but keep the reader in a situation where he has to, he or she has to keep turning pages, which is a detriment when you're reading it at night, I guess. <laughs> it is. The, uh, you know, and for me and a, a lot of, a lot of guys in, in our age bracket, I think, you know, Tom Clancy was uh, my first introduction to the, the techno thriller, the I mean, thriller and, and some of the espionage genres. And I really appreciated how much detail he put into those works. But at the same time, um, I, I started Ritstorm Rising like three times before I actually got the book finished because there was so much back data. And, you know, the, the modern thriller is so much faster and so much better paced that I think it, it allows for the author and the reader, like you said about Leonard, to be able to, to skip over a lot, of, a lot of those backfill sections as long as the writer is making sure that you've got enough data that everything makes sense and you have logic flowing through the book. What, what is you know interesting, and I think you have to think about like Ludlum and you have to think about Clancy and Dale Brown and those guys was like this information that they would put in the book wasn't available anywhere else. And so, you know, you hear these stories about, um, let's say Clancy, um, where the secret service or somebody, you know, the naval intelligence actually came to him and be like, where did you learn about mm -hmm. the baffles on this submarine? Or where did you learn about this underground cable? And mm -hmm. literally back then, like, you know, he would subscribe to these, you know, Jane's journal and, yeah. popular mechanics and everything so he literally had like well i got it from this magazine mm -hmm. and now Open you source, can yeah. right but they didn't realize you know it was something that most people didn't know existed mm -hmm. but now you can go on the internet you can literally google anything and more often than not you're going to get some you're going to get something there mm -hmm. and with the advent of the internet and you know kind of this information overload that is life the pacing of storytelling has, has had to evolve. And, you know, it, it's like, I think writers look at books now as almost like a movie. Okay. You have, it's a lot longer, yes. you have a lot longer time frame, but you have to compress all of that. And so every scene has to have some action that's driving you forward. Otherwise someone's going to be like, Oh my goodness. Like I can't, like, I don't care about, how fast an AK fires like that. That's what happens with my wife. A lot of times you know, she'll <laughs> yeah. read my book and I was, Oh my God. I mean, what's a Kalashnikov and why do I care? Like mm -hmm. to a woman, you can say it was a rifle, mm -hmm. but to true connoisseurs of the genre, you know, that's in my opinion, what separates the great writers from those. Um, I'm not going to say not great, but you know, mm -hmm it's kind of like the defining factor. People read the genre and there are certain people that expect you to have, you know, everything on point. Like, Oh, you better not say that, you know, he was in the military shooting two, two, three out of his M4 when it's basically <laughs> more or less the same bullet. Right. Everything's got to be correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the things that I think generally as a writer, uh, absent a, a few genres where 
the bulk of your readers demand a high level of expertise. If you're going to write, I think, techno thrillers, you're going to run into that. If you're going to write historical fiction, you're going to run into that. But most readers and most genres are fairly willing to suspend some disbelief and, and play along as long as you're balancing, I think, the authenticity of the reality we live in or the world you've created and the reader experience. Um, but for writers in those few niches, you really do have to pay attention to a lot of those details. Well, it's like in the books, you know, um, as a former police officer, if you're writing a book, um, uh, which I believe you have, um, mm -hmm. and you say something, you know, about something that's just totally, uh, he just put him in the back of the car and then he went and took him downtown and you know your cop buddies are gonna be like oh so you didn't pat him down you didn't <laughs> you know reading his rights you didn't put handcuffs right. on him yeah. and you know some people might not notice some people might infer that yeah he did all that but you know i, I i've always looked at it as kind of cheating the reader like you want to take you don't want to dump all this information on there but you also like hey you're coming with the background that makes you a subject matter expert. And I believe that's why they read certain, mm -hmm. pick certain authors. And they want to, they want to feel a lived in scene. They want to know mm -hmm. like, what was the guy wearing? What was he, you know, what kind of Gucci gear did he have? And the moment it's like when my wife, she's a nurse, she'll watch some of those like Grey's Anatomy. And they're like, yeah. give me however many CCs or whatever. And she's like, oh, they would never do that. And like, I have no idea, but immediately she's jerked out of that scene. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think for, for writers um, in, in our position of being able to write from, from some level of personal experience, um, you, I think we get to make up for a lot of that technical procedural accuracy with a more authentic portrayal of the characters and the people involved in this thing. And, you know, so even I assume uh, you've probably never been part of a black ops CIA program. And even if you were, you probably wouldn't talk about it. But, I, you know, when you were, you know, working narcotics, you're sitting out surveillance somewhere, you know what it's like to feel anxious and a little bit maybe surrounded and on edge. And you can put that personal experience into characters like Adam Hayes, knowing exactly how that feels. And a lot of those scenes, kind of like you said, is like you're sitting out there on, you know, surveillance and you've been there for, like, let's be honest, like if we wrote mm -hmm. cop or military books oh like they God. really were, people yeah. would be like, oh, Lord. But you've sat there and you probably, like me, like, it'd be cool if this happened right now, but <laughs> yeah. it's not because it's real life. But, yeah. you know, that's kind of what a book is, is, you know, you get to take your experience and throw in those what if moments like what if he did come out with an rpg all of a sudden that changes the whole dynamic and mm -hmm. so that's what i try to do i try to take you know as much accuracy and real experience in there but obviously you know you have to pump up the volume a little bit and so to keep a reader kind of moving forward in the book because um a lot of these stories have been told a lot and um 
So you have to constantly be reinventing the way you tell a story, the way you look at a scene to keep people interested. And I mean, as an author also, you need to stay interested or Mm -hmm. it might get this feeling of like, oh, he's throwing this one in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've talked to a a number of folks in the last, especially the last four or five months that, you know, certainly with this book coming out now, the writing began probably at least a year ago, right? And and the research before that. And I, I wonder how in the current COVID environment, if you were, uh, how you did any follow-up research or, uh, you know, accessed any any data that you needed uh, in order to, to, to blend this book to find that balance of authenticity and and reader experience, especially when you're talking about environments like Africa. Well, I started this book right when uh, COVID was kind of coming out. And um, so while my research, I wasn't able to travel as much, I usually begin a book. um, I have to know a lot of things before I go into writing a book. And sometimes it's to my detriment. I know some authors can just they'll just write out that first draft and then they'll kind of throw in like, Oh, well, I need to make sure this is possible mm-hmm. for me. Like I, my brain doesn't work that way. So I start with a huge dive into, okay, where do I want to set it? Um, you know, in this book, he's flying a particular older aircraft that they used a lot in Vietnam with the CIA. So I had to go find um, old manuals and you know actually buy order manuals to figure out like well where is this on this airplane or how does it you know does it what type of engine does it have does it do this or that and so you kind of begin to build and build more and more research until you can actually smell and taste and feel um each kind of each scene and then um then you kind of begin writing and i believe it takes a little more time to do it that way, but with COVID, it was difficult because this is the first book that I've written where you literally and almost figuratively like writing in a bubble. You can't go anywhere. Yep. And so it was difficult because um, usually you can actually visit a place or kind of something like that. And obviously, with the new baby, my wife wouldn't let me go to Africa, but, um, congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, it was one of those things where my brain was working overtime. I would say, I, I think a lot of writers and people in general probably felt this is that, you know, for me, this book really became escapism for me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, uh, been, the, the gift of a, a, a lot of the circumstances, at least in, in this for writers, is that a lot of us have gotten to escape into our fictional worlds for this year and hopefully um, you know, come out of this thing with uh, some product that, that readers will then get to escape into and tell their friends about. And, um, it's, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the small blessings out of this whole thing. And, you know, I got to tell readers now, there's no mention of COVID in the book. It's, you know, <laughs> I asked some people like, were you going to write about COVID? Well, oh, hell no. no. You know, no. like, no. that's all we hear about. I want to make yeah. sure, I want to put you in a place where no one's worried about COVID. Yeah, I was really surprised a, a few of the, 
the writing groups that I'm in, um, a couple of the guys were, you know, talking about putting together the, their, you know, pandemic story of, you know, the, the thing after this. I'm like, why, man, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to read that. Like, I don't even want to think about that. You know, it's too, uh, too harsh a reality right now. I think for, to, to use it as an escape, it's just going to increase anxiety and fear. It's kind of like, you know, you're writing about the guy worried about his taxes. Like, I'm worried about my taxes <laughs> and other things during the day. I don't want to spend my, you know, writing time also worried about it. Yeah. One of the things we talked about last year when the, uh, the Treadstone Resurrection came out was I posed a question to you about how, how you had gone from writing really fantastic stories of your own universe and then getting picked up to participate and, and help further the, the, keep the Ludlum universe alive and uh, what that had been like. And I, I think you said that uh, you expected a lot of the reaction was something like a bunch of readers going, who the hell is Josh Hood? <laughs> and I, I think at this point, after putting such an incredible first effort out in in, in the Ludlum universe and then putting this incredible read out. I think now people know exactly who the hell Josh Hood is. Well, I hope so. Um, it was a daunting task, you know, to kind of step into the Ludlum universe. I was lucky in that I got to kind of create my own world because there was not that much that had been written about. Mm -hmm. um, Treadstone. Uh, so, once you kind of develop it, you're almost, it feels like you're in your own world. And luckily, um, Resurrection was so well received that I was like, hey, this guy's not going to screw it up too bad. So, yeah. you know, I was kind of given free reign to continue with the with Exile. And um, so far, you know, there's, there's a, I've picked up on like this, thread where it's kind of like people assume that I'm taking advantage of Ludlum's name in some way that you know I in some way bought the rights and it was like mm. you know you're kind of dirtying his legacy and that's not the case you know it was they the, the estate reached out uh, through the publisher and the whole thought process and goal from day one is to add something meaningful to this universe with the very real realization that I cannot write anywhere near as well as Robert Ludlum. And so I kind of had to do my own thing with that, use my skills, but mm -hmm. constantly keep my eye on the fact that like, you know, this bar is so high because Robert Ludlum was a fantastic storyteller and a, you know, really a flawless writer. And I am so incredibly grateful as a reader and as a fan and to not just you, uh, because you're here, <laughs> but for the, the writers who are stepping in and very, I think, very bravely putting on um, or, or trying to carry on the legacies of these incredibly important and relevant fictional institutions, you know, for the Josh Hoods and the Mark Camerons and Mike Madden and Kyle Mills. Uh, all these guys, uh, Grant Blackwood, Mark Greeny, who have helped readers of these really true legacy universes 
be able to stay in this fictional world and enjoy these characters and these stories at, I would argue, a very similar level of writing. Um, I, I think it would be erroneous to say anyone would ever be welcome, but I, I am equally satisfied with your writing as, as his. It's just a little bit different. But the, the story gets to stay alive, the universe gets to stay alive, and we get to keep enjoying it. And I, I think we actually owe you a debt of gratitude for being willing to do that. Well, you know, with this, it's once again just, I have to take it back to the Ludlum estate and the family that they kind of allowed, not just me, but any of us. Uh, because like you said, as a fan, it's like when your favorite show ends, you're like, man. Yeah. What are you going to do? You can watch reruns forever and it's, it's great, but like for something new to come out, like, mm -hmm. um, it, it's just exciting. Cause I think all of us as writers are first fans yes, and that's, what's gotten us in to this in the first place. And just to be able to, um, you know, the idea that, Oh, I would never read another dirt pit book or I'll never need to read another, <laughs> Um, you know, Clancy book or whatever. That's just, it's just sad because yes, yeah. besides just being great books, they really do become, you know, part of our lives. How many people of our age group that are authors right now still are like, well, you know, I never would have been on this path if I hadn't read, you know, Hunt for Red October, oh, yeah. if I hadn't read Fly of the Old Dog, or if I hadn't read uh, Charm School by Nelson DeMille, or I hadn't yeah, read... Flight of the Intruder or Stephen Coons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I read that book literally once a year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to talk to him last year and I was, I'm so incredibly grateful as specifically for flight of the intruders as a, uh, you know, a kid in our age bracket. Um, you know, my, my dad was in, was in Vietnam and had the unfortunate, uh, unfortunate uh, incident of being involved in, in a few helicopter crashes. Thankfully, he survived all of them, which is kind of statistically amazing. But I, I found out more about what it might have been like to be in Vietnam and to go down in an aircraft from Flight of the Intruder than I ever did from my dad. But that really helped me maybe understand a little bit more about him. So I was really grateful when I got to talk to Stephen Koontz about, you know, taking that opportunity to thank him for that. But also, you know, we as, as fiction authors still have a tremendous ability to impact the world around us. Oh, I, I mean, and the same thing happened to me. My dad was in the Navy. My grandfather was in the Navy. And, you know, the old school mentality is you don't talk about that. Yeah. You don't talk about PTSD. You don't talk about, what happened like you might get lucky and get a story every now and again mm -hmm. but it's never what does a flight deck smell like what is mm -hmm. what is it like to be on a ship what are the personalities like and mm -hmm. you know the same way it was like i felt like i understood what my father went through as an 18 year old guy in vietnam by reading this book and um you know that's what i believe got me into becoming like a, a voracious reader in the first place was you're sitting in school and it's so boring and then you're like hey no one's really paying attention let me open this book here pretend i'm doing my math and you're reading you know <laughs> glance you're reading whatever yeah. and all of a yeah. sudden like you're you know 
because they didn't really have TV shows or movies about that type of stuff back then, but you're all of a sudden in this other world mm -hmm. learning about new stuff, learning about like geopolitics, learning about all these things. And um, that's what got me, you know, through high school. That's what got me into being a writer. And it's books, you know, this movable feast that is a book mm -hmm. just kind of enriches, I believe, everybody's life. And, you know, I don't, I believe personally that there's no more important time to be an author than right now. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I think more than ever in my lifetime, our society can use a, a quality and effective escape from our reality and, and maybe, maybe just find something in, in, in the fiction that helps us, helps us deal with, uh, cope with the things that we're, we're going through right now maybe even find a new perspective on life yeah it's like you know i had a bad day but it, it wasn't as bad as adam hayes day <laughs> mm -hmm. so i'm a winner yeah yeah a lot of shit's going on in my life but nobody's kidnapping my kids so <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's good hey for uh readers who want to uh want to get on board and follow you and your new publications and anything else you have coming out, where can they find you? Well, they can check me out at Joshua Hood Books on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then my website is uh, also Joshua Hood Books. I try to keep it simple. And, you know, I appreciate anybody who wants to check this book out. And we worked hard to make sure that um, you don't have to read the first one to read the second one. And um, I just hope that everybody reads it appreciates it for what it is and a small contribution to this wonderful Ludlam universe. Mm -hmm. well, I am, as a fan, I am incredibly grateful, as I mentioned, for you continuing to, to put these books out and, and also to the Ludlam estate for allowing you to do it because it's, it's an incredible escape we can all use. And I'm, I'm really grateful that this universe gets to continue. Well, I'm grateful for you uh, having me on as usual. Uh, we could, feel like we could talk for hours on books, but people probably don't want to hear my voice that long. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been bestseller Joshua Hood. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.